also, Pastor Chris asked me to speak today because with Ephraim's wedding, I'm sure they're very involved. And I said, is there something in particular? And he says, yeah. He says, if you want to, you could do the fountain gate. And I'm going, yeah, the fountain gate, the fountain gate. <clears throat> That's the gate where the gifts of the Spirit come. And I just love the Holy Spirit, and I love teaching about him because he is our power. He is our strength. And it's at the fountain that we get it. There's a song we used to sing, and oh, I'm not a singer, but I'm going to do it anyway. Spring up a well within my soul. Spring up a well and make me whole. Spring up a well and give to me that life abundantly. And then we'd follow with, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. So all these gates that Nehemiah built, and Pastor, Pastor Chris has such a revelation on these gates, are symbolic. They're shadows of things to come. They were realities then, but they're a foreshadowing of when Jesus came and the kingdom of God was established on earth. The kingdom of God is going to be established, but it is established through us. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're in the world, but not of the world. And the fountain gate represents that. It was written um, in, uh, about in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 15. I'm going to turn to it because... The fountain gate was prepared by Shalom, son of Kohosa, the leader of the Mizpah district. He rebuilt it, roofed it, set, set it up, its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Then he repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam near the king's garden, and he rebuilt the wall as far as the stairs that descended from the city of David. And what's interesting is Shalom, his name means prosperity in the Hebrew, and his father... Kol Hosea, I guess I'm saying it right, I don't know. His name was Seir. That the, the family that rebuilt the fountain gate was the family of the seer and the prosperous one. And that reminded me so much of Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 where the Lord was telling a very scared young man that, and he wasn't that young actually, he's probably close to 80, but anyway, who is taking over the leadership of the Israelite people to fear not that if he would take the words that had been spoken to him and engrave them on his heart and follow them and live according to them, study this book of instruction continually, meditate on it day and night, and you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. We're talking about a type of soulful, spiritual, life-giving prosperity that the person who built that gate saw in the fountain gate. There's a prosperity in going to the fountain that's not of this world. It's from the Lord. And that's what he wants us to go to is the fountain gate. And the gate was um, close to the pool of Siloam who Hezekiah had built. King Hezekiah had um, built that prior. And they had, um, he had done that as a way to enforce the city, to arm the city. 
because Jerusalem was on a hill, and if somebody came to attack them, they would be enclosed by the walls, and they could be starved to death. But not only that, they could die of thirst because they'd have no access to the waters. So what King Hezekiah, he was a good king in Judah, did is he had the men engineer, and they bored through solid rock for 1,777 feet to, to open up a waterway, Hezekiah's waterway, so that the people of Jerusalem would have water in the time of attack. And then also what King Hezekiah did when the Assyrians came to attack them, he shut off the water outside the gates. So they had continual water, but the attacking army did not. He used the wisdom God had given him and had brought water into the city. And they have now excavated and found that tunnel, Hezekiah's tunnel. How they did that at that time with the engineering that they had, the tools they had. They didn't have drills. They didn't have mechanical anything. They had chip, you know, chisels and hammers, 1,777 feet through solid rock, that the water could come, that the gate could be there. And later on, Jesus came to a blind man, and he ministered to him, and he told him to go and wash his, uh, wash his eyes out in the pool of Siloam, which was near the fountain gate, the gate where sight came. The scene one, see, I'm having a hard time even expressing this. We were talking about it in Sunday school this morning. God in eternity sees the beginning from the end. God in eternity is working out his plans. He gives us free will, and we're allowed to step into them or not, but he's in eternity. So he sees what our decision is going to be tomorrow or next week or next month or next year or what our grandchildren or great-grandchildren or what our great-grandparents have done. To him, it's all the same. He sees the flow of his plan, and he works it out. So he had the father who had the son, the father who was all-seeing, the son who was prosperous, rebuild the fountain gate as a foreshadowing of where we would live. Jesus said, I am the living water. Come unto me. I'm the water of life. He is the river of life. And then he told them before he went to the cross, he said, I must go away that I can send you the spirit, the comforter, that we could live in the center of God's fountain. The fountain gate is the place where we thrive, where we exist, where we have our very being. It's the place of ministry. It's a place of rest. It's the place where you quit looking at somebody else and trying to make what your destiny is look like somebody else's destiny. It's the place where we go to the fountain and we're refilled and revived. And then we go forth into our particular realm and we carry the truth of heaven. We carry the living water. Um, I would like to go to John chapter 4, please. Jesus heard what was being said and abruptly left Judea and returned to the province of Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaritan territory. Jesus arrived at the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph, long before. Wearied by his long journey, he sat on the edge of Jacob's well. He sent his disciples into the village to buy food, for it was already afternoon. But I want to say Jesus also sent him in to get him out of the way. We're going to see that. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink of water. Surprised. Why was she surprised? One thing is Jews didn't speak to Samaritans. And another thing, Jewish men didn't speak to strange women. It was sin. 
So she was surprised. She said, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman, that's two things that shouldn't have happened, according to culture, for a drink of water? Jesus replied, if you only knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. The woman replied, but sir, you don't even have a bucket and this well is very deep. She was uh, censusing what she could see with her eyes, wasn't she? So where do you find this living water, she asked. Do you really think you are greater than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it himself, along with his children and livestock? Jesus answered, if you drink from Jacob's well, you will be thirsty again and again. But if anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never thirst again and will be forever satisfied. For, amen. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit, springing up and flooding you with endless life. This is us, folks. We may not feel like it because we're taking census of what we can see with our eyes. We're not taking census of the gift he has given us. Living water gushing up out of us in spite of us, not because of us. Not because of our goodness, but because of what Jesus did for us. We cannot sense us according to what we see. We must sense us according to the riches of heaven, the prosperity of heaven. See, what, what the Lord told Joshua back in the book of Joshua is the same for us now. If we get this word inside of us, if we understand it, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God and make it our plumb line, make it our resource, our source to know him, then our faith for him is raised and we're not taking census of what we have or don't have. We don't take census of our old sins or what's going on in our lives. We take census of the army of God, the Lord of hosts, who has all the hosts of heavens behind us wherever we go. It's living water. It's a gushing fountain. It's overflowing, invigorated with the oxygen of heaven coming through us if we just get out of the way. And so she replied, and I understand why, let me drink that water so I'll never be thirsty again and won't have to come back here to draw water. Jesus said, knowing the answer, go get your husband and bring him back here because he wanted to, her to see that it didn't matter. You see, he did it in advance. It's what God does. He's preparing in advance for our tomorrows. And the month after, he's preparing in advance for what this country's going through. He's preparing in advance for the goals he set on your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, I'll give you, the, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He's given you that desire, and he has already set into motion what will meet your desire when the time comes. He said, go get your husband and bring him back here. But I'm not married, the woman answered. That's true, Jesus said, for you've been married five times. And now you're living with a man who is not your husband. You have told the truth. He's saying, it doesn't matter. I know who you are, and I choose to speak to you. You may not know it, but I sent some intruders out of the way so I could have some one-on-one -on -one time with you, spend time in your presence that you could know who I am, that you would respond to the living water I desire to give to you. The woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me this, why do our fathers worship God here on this nearby mountain, but your people teach 
that Jerusalem is the place where we must worship, which is right. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time has come when you won't worship the Father on a mountain or in Jerusalem, but in your heart. Your people don't really know the one they worship. We Jews worship out of our experience, for it's from the Jew that, Jews that salvation is made available. From here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. For God is a spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of the spirit and in truth. The woman said, this is also confusing, but I do know that the anointed one is coming. See what he's doing. He's provoking her, opening her up, saying, I don't even understand this so that she'll listen. How often in our lives do we come to a place of conflict when we don't understand, where we really don't know what to do next? Well, that's the perfect place to be because that's where the fountain is. It's in the place of our need that the Lord wants us to step into like a child. Lord, I don't know what to do next. And we're obedient and we're surrendered. The woman said, this is also confusing, but I do know the anointed one is coming, the true Messiah. And when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. And Jesus said to her, you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here speaking with you. I am the one you're looking for. At that moment, the disciples returned right on time and were stunned to see Jesus speaking with the Samaritan woman. Yet none of them dared to ask him why or what they were discussing. All at once, the woman dropped her water jar and ran off to her village and told everyone. Now here I want to say this woman had come out in the middle of the day to draw water because of shame. She was ashamed of the fact that she'd been married and divorced over again. She was ashamed of the fact that she was living immorally with a, hus with a man who was not her husband. So while the rest of the women went out in the cool of the day to carry back water, she went out when she could be alone and not have to confront people because of the shame she felt over who she was. Jesus told her that he was the anointed one, the Messiah, and he told her the good news, and he told her that out of her very belly, that belly that had been living with a man who wasn't her husband, who had been divorced five times, who was living in shame, who felt herself covered from shame, could have rivers of living water, fountains of water coming up out of her. All at once, the woman forgot herself. She dropped her water jar and ran off to her village and told everyone, come and meet a man at the well who told me everything I've ever done. He could be the anointed one we've been waiting for. Hearing this, the people came streaming out of the village to go and see Jesus. Revival in Samaria. Revival in Samaria. Came the first evangelist, was a woman who had been married five times, who was living in sin, but when she met the Messiah was changed. She forgot who she was and just became his mouthpiece. And Pastor Debbie, several weeks ago, talked about her future. But it's, it's such a picture for us, the fountain gate the fountain is where we go, where we forget ourselves and just step into who he created us to be. When the gifts of the Spirit are made apparent, words of knowledge, prophecy, so many giftings that we have, but so often what we do, and Pastor writes in his book about a deaf and mute spirit that stops us, but honestly, before the deaf and mute spirit is our own self-consciousness that stops us. My fear that I'm going to make a mistake, my fear that I'm going to make a fool of myself, my fear that I'm going to say this and it isn't going to happen. Instead of trusting God, we take census of what we have. We know our own failures. 
We know where we fall short, and we allow that to overlay the living water that's in us. We are the living water. We are the open heaven. We don't need an open heaven. Jesus opened it when he died. You are the open heaven. You're the living water. You're the fountain of life that, that the world is looking for. You are the holy nation, a chosen people, a royal priesthood who has everything you need. We've got to quit taking census by what we can see with our eyes and lean into the Lord. Because the gifts of the Spirit come from where? They come from the Spirit. Lean into Him. Spend private time with Him. Learn of His Word. Dedicate ourselves to Him. Make our life of worship offering to Him as she does. And forget ourselves because Jesus doesn't care how shabby we've been. He doesn't even care how shabby we've been since we've been saved because he offers his redemption. He offers his lifting power. He offers us to become the living water that he is as we open our hearts to him and open our mouths for him, open our hands for him, and flow out to the need. The fountain gate represents the new covenant where there's a fountain that never ends. The river of life that flows from under the altar of God. We read about it in Revelation. We read about it in Ezekiel. We are part of the fountain. We have the river in us. We just need to let it go. We need to pay attention to what the Spirit's saying. He's got to be Lord. Now we can say Jesus is Lord, but Jesus needs to be Lord. And this is not to criticize, but this is the bottom line. Who's Lord? You or Him? If you're Lord, you're in trouble. If I'm Lord, I'm in trouble. If Jesus is Lord, I can follow him. I can be a child. I can follow him and be a child and trust his living water to flow out of me, to minister to those around me. Because it's not my water. It's his water. All I got to do is step out. All you got to do is step out. We're in a time of becoming. We've been kicked back in church looking for who administer to us. It's time for us to be the ministers. I'm not the minister, you're the minister. I am a minister just like you. Pastor Chris is a minister just like you. We have different calls on our lives and they, we look different from one another and our calls look different from one another. Just like John wrote in the beginning of his gospel, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and by him all things were created. Nothing that was created was created without him. Jesus was the word who spoke through every one of the prophets, starting with Genesis. Jesus spoke through them, and they all have a different flavor. Why? Because God designed that particular voice to be the one that the word came through, that their particular band would, would offer what they offer according to what God had created them to do, to be who God created them to be, to minister what God had created them to minister. So then all they did was then parrot the word with capital W was speaking through them, and they were transcribing it down for us, for them then and us now. But it's all the word. It's all a revelation of Jesus. These gates are a revelation of Jesus. The Old Testament is a revelation of the Father's heart. We are his beloved. If we will just forget our shortcomings, if we will just forget our failures, if we'll be like this woman that we're so excited that we've met the Messiah and spend time with him and spend time in his word, then what will come out of us will be him. Pure and simple. It won't be us. So 
a deaf and dumb spirit can stop us. But what stops us first? My own fear, my own shame. Was, was, what was going to stop this woman? But when she met the Savior and spent time with him, her shame melted away. Shame is the beginning of all sin, that I have to find a way to meet my needs some way other than what God gave me. But the river of life, the living water, is what gives us the life that flows through us and to us. So as it flows out of us, we receive too. We get all the residual water. We've got to un unstop our dam. Did, do you have the picture of the Hoover Dam there? One time during worship here a few months ago, I saw this while we were worshiping. And I saw this dam, and it's huge. And President Roosevelt had um, made that a project to help raise money during the Depression, to help fund people, to give them jobs to do. It was one of the projects. And it's huge. And in my vision, I saw that where the gates, I can't remember. I think it's like Mead that's behind here, but I might be wrong. But this huge dam is such a picture of the water of heaven. is so deep, there's no end to it. The richness of the Holy Spirit is so far and wide. I don't know how many millions of gallons of water there is behind this dam. And there's some gates down here that when they open the gates, the water comes through. And when the water comes through, it turns some turbines. And those turbines cause power that gives power all around them. But what causes it is the friction. It's like Thistleweight Falls here in Richmond. It was a, a fall artificially made so that a mill, the friction from the water would turn a wheel that would run machinery that would process what they want to process. So when we run into friction, into conflict, that's the place of power. That's the place where we don't know what to do, where Jesus knows what to do, where we need the living water, we need to apply the living water and not allow our own lack of discipline to sidetrack us and to give us self-doubt so that we shut our mouths. A deaf and dumb spirit will come, but first we've got to give entry to it. It's not our power anyway. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. It makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. I apologize in advance. <laughs> or after, whatever. I don't sing. You've got a river of life flowing out of you makes the lame to walk and the blind to see, opens prison doors, sets the captives free. You've got a river of life flowing out of you. Spring up a well within my soul. Spring up a well and make me whole. Spring up a well and give to me that life abundantly. I should be embarrassed, but I'm not. The truth is the truth. We got to open our gates. We got to quit being the end. We keep wanting the water to serve us, to be a bless me club. But we don't have the courage to become a bless you club. We're called to be warriors, priests. Isaiah prophesied of Jesus, we read it this morning, upon his shoulder 
he would carry the government. Upon your shoulder, you carry the government. Upon your shoulder, you carry the truth. That is, upon your place of strength, you carry truth that the world needs. You've got a living water inside of you. You've got a fountain of life inside of you. This fountain gate, come to the gate. Come to the fountain. Be filled in the fountain and release the fountain. Because that water dammed up behind the Hoover Dam is just sitting there. But it, went, it hits those turbines and it hits that friction. The power that's generated powers homes. When you hit friction and you let the water come on through, there's power that's generated. Jesus told the 12, he says, go to Jerusalem and tarry, wait until you're endued with power. What is the power? The power of the fountain. The fountain, the power of the spirit, the power of the overflow, the power that you've been close to him, that you've got so much that you just give it away and give it away. And the more you give, the more it fills. The more you give, the more it fills. The more you give, the more it fills. Till you're a mighty rushing river affecting the realm around you. And it's not you, it's him. We've got to quit taking census of what we have because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter she had five husbands. It doesn't matter that she was living with a man who, who wasn't her husband. What matters is that she met the Savior and his redemptive power and his truth changed her. And she just became the first evangelist. We got to be. This isn't something we just come and talk about. We got to be the truth. We got to overflow the truth. And it doesn't, yours isn't going to look like mine, and mine's not going to look like yours. And we got to get our hands off of each other and quit judging each other. But instead, pray for one another, lift one another up, that you can step into your flow, and that I can step into my flow. And even though they're different, that we become the great, mighty army of the living God. There's nothing else. We come to church to do this, to be powered up, to be fueled up, to go out and do what we were created to do, not to go and hang out for six more days and wait to come back to be entertained again. I am not here to entertain you. I'm here to love you. I'm here to love you with truth. You've got a river of life. And there's some dead people that need to be raised. There's some sick people who need to be healed. There's some lost people that need to be saved. You carry the answer, but you've got to open the gate so that the power comes out with your testimony, your truth, that only you can give because it's your story. I want to just encourage you. I want to encourage you if you're feeling an unction. I sense that most of us are to do something new and different, to listen and to give it away. Where there's an opening, give it away. Don't overthink it. Don't think about it at all. Just do it. Just let it go. Let it go. Feed those around you. Our Savior is a good shepherd. He leads us into paths of righteousness. He leads us to springs of water. And we are to emulate that same experience for those around us. We lead those around us to God's truth. That they're profoundly loved that they're not forgotten. No matter what they've done, the Lord is waiting for his redemption to work in their lives, to reform them, remake them. And that's on us. 
it's on us. And in these last days, if we're not spending time at the fountain so that we become the fountain, we're not going to make it. I'm not saying we won't make it to heaven. We're not going to make it. We're not going to be, we're not going to prosper. Our prosperity comes from taking a stand, standing in the stand, and letting go of fear of man and giving truth to those around us. And so I just like, I'd like you to stand if you don't mind, and I'd like to pray. Father, we love you. We love you. We love you. Help us to receive your love in such a powerful way. That we overflow. That all the banks around us are washed away by the power of your force. That your kingdom really truly does come through us onto earth as it is in heaven. Help us to lean into your righteousness, into your blood, into your salvation, into your truth. Like little children depending, help us to surrender, to take our hands off and put your hands right into the middle of everything around us. Trusting that you'll lift, you'll transform, that you'll do your good thing. Help us to keep our eyes on you and our faith to grow. I pray blessings over each one, that each one sees at least the part of the destiny they're created for, that each one is emboldened to step into it, that each one goes out a river of living water, your river carried in each one of us. I pray blessings. I pray truth. I pray just knowing you more than ever before. And I pray, a, more than anything, I pray a hunger and thirst that will set aside time, that will set aside whenever it is, however it looks, whatever you call us to, that will just know you so much that you eclipse everything else. We thank you, Father, and we praise you. We thank you for your heart for us. Help our hearts to join your hearts. Help us to walk in communion with you. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.